Good morning. Our scripture today comes from the second chapter of Acts, verses 36 through 41. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the ghost, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is the word of God for the people of God. Will you pray with me and for me this morning? Let's pray. Holy God, we pray that your spirit would speak in our lives. As we hear your word proclaimed, Lord, we pray that this would be not from me, but that it would be from you and about you. Help us, lead us in our lives by the power of your spirit and in the name of your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, all God's people said. Amen. Well, have you ever said something and uh, maybe to a child and they didn't quite catch your meaning? Uh, maybe you said something and uh, they didn't understand what you said and they took it a completely different way than you thought and uh, caused a lot of confusion. I, I feel like if, if you're not saying yes to that, then you're just not remembering correctly because I feel... I feel like most of my conversations, um, when I think about my childhood or many of the conversations I have with children, uh, it's so funny how many words that I think um, they will understand and know, uh, but the barrier gap of the things that we have to sometimes unlearn and remember that, uh, that they haven't learned yet. And that happened uh, to my dad, actually, when I was six years old. It happened to me, but he was there to help me through it. Um, I was at a friend's house. And uh, his younger brother, when I, we were in Maryland at the time, his younger brother was, I don't know if, if I just looked at him the wrong way or what, but he threw a battery at my face and it hit me in the eye. And so mom and dad rushed me up to the, I, it was a family practice, but to me at six years old, it felt like this giant hospital, cold, you know, hospital room, even though I'm sure it was a nice family practice room, you know, um, and I remember from, for me, the, the memory that I have is that I was on one side of the room and like this cold bed laying down and my parents were way over on the other side having this really intense conversation with the doctor because I was afraid and I had no clue why I was afraid. I was just afraid. And, and I heard this, and my dad loves to tell this story. So I'm not doing myself any favors today, but my dad loves to tell the story from, from his version. He and my mom were talking to the doctor. And the doctor began to explain and said, look, battery hit his eye. We need to make sure that everything's okay. So we're going to take some dye 
and we're going to put it in his eye, and we're going to see if there's a scratch or any permanent damage. And Dad said he looked up from that conversation, and I had this look of horror and shock and fear. My face went white, and uh, Dad said he ran over, and he said, Son, what's, what's going on? Are you okay? And he, I said, Dad, am I going to die? And so sure enough, I had no clue that die, the English language has so many different, you know, uses for one word, right? I had no clue that die was just something that would help you see in your eye a scratch. I just knew that die meant death. And so I thought, I heard that we're at a doctor's office, I'm six years old, battery's going to kill me, you know, I'm going to die. My dad had to explain it to me. Oh, I can't believe I told that story. But my dad had to explain it to me. Can you imagine if my dad had just been over and watched me with that look and been like, yeah, it'd be all right. <laughs> that would have been, been terrible. He has done stuff like that before. I can't recall those memories right now. I've locked them deep, deep down. Um, but you know, the, the truth is, it was his job as a parent to come over and explain to me what happened that day. It was his job to help me understand and interpret the world around me and to figure out what in the world was going on. And he had to sit there and walk me through that moment. And that's our job as parents. You know, I, I'm uh, the father of a 14-month-old named Liam. And seriously, I, my wife and I taught Liam what cookie means. And now sometimes you don't want to explain things. He sees cookie on a book now, and he's like, cookie, cookie. Uh, and, you know, always talking about getting a cookie. But the reality is we found ourselves teaching him and helping him to understand the world around him. And he's beginning to be able to use those words and be able to interpret things around him because that's our job as parents. And we do that. But here's an area that I, I would like to challenge us all that I don't know that we try as hard in. I don't know that we teach our our children in the area of their faith. I think that that's a daunting task for many of us. I I know for me, I am terrified that my I'm a pastor and my my pastor's kid is going to, you know, grow up horribly because of some uh something I did. And I think as parents when it comes to faith, we're afraid we're going to mess up. But it's our job as parents to do everything we can to teach them about the most important thing. And that's, in our scripture today, that's what I believe Peter is getting at. And so I'd invite you, if you have your Bibles with you, whether it's on your phone or you brought it, or it's in the pew back in front of you, uh, to take it out. And I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 41. And while you're turning there, I'm going to give you some context. So Peter was a disciple of Jesus and uh, at this point, Jesus has died, been resurrected. He has ascended into heaven. And uh, after that happened, the disciples, they were all gathered in the supper room and they were praying and not quite sure what to do. And then all of a sudden, um, the Holy Spirit came upon them like this rushing wind. And they, they were in Jerusalem and there was this big festival there. It's, it's known as Pentecost and we claim it as the birthday of the church. It was last week. And so they went out. Uh, to all the Jewish, all the Jewish people that were gathered, and there were thousands of people gathered, and they began, these people were from all over, they began to talk in their languages. And then all of a sudden, Peter gets up and addresses the entire crowd. And he's with the, the eleven. And he's addressing the entire crowd. And this is the, 
for Peter, this is the first time he's kind of shifted into a new person. And so he's uh, telling the story, and he begins to tell all these uh, Israelites, they're Jewish, who uh, all about who Jesus really is, and he helps them to see who Jesus is in the context of their faith and their culture. And he begins to to go through the old uh, the Hebrew Bible and begins to connect some of these scriptures and begins to explain it. And so by the time that we get to verse 36, where we start today, uh, remember this, that Jesus had been crucified in Jerusalem. And so some of the folks that had been a part of crucify him, saying crucify him, they were in the crowd. And so then Peter says in verse 36, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. This is at the end of a very long speech. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Man, Peter got him good. Burn, Peter. You, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And so what he's saying here is, look, it, when he uses those words, Lord and Messiah, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is God. But he's also the Messiah. He's the one that was sent to be our hope and to make things new and different. And so then upon hearing this, here's how the people respond. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God promises us that when we repent and we're baptized in the name of Jesus, our sins are forgiven. We're in, we are a part of God's family. We are children of God. And we will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, helping us to be more like who God created us to be. And through all of this, we receive new and eternal life in Christ. Friends, that's the gospel message. That's the promise we have in Jesus Christ. And here's why I think Peter was telling us to teach our children well. Because he had just finished talking all about this promise. But one, one important thing to remember is that G, uh, Peter is Jewish. He's a follower of Jesus Christ, but he's Jewish and he is speaking to Jewish people. And in the Jewish context, in their culture, in their faith, man, storytelling is huge. It's a part of their identity. It's what they do. And so Peter knew, uh, in fact, in the Jewish culture, uh, he grew up in a Jewish household. He knew that every year they practice this meal, a Seder meal, and they talk about the story of Passover when Jesus delivered and brought the people of Israel who were in slavery and captivity out of Egypt and brought them um, after 40 years in the desert, eventually brought them into the promised land. And Peter knew that um, the way... The way that that story was shared wasn't in temple or synagogue. It was in a house around a table. And the rabbi wasn't always there. Usually it was really the patriarch or the, or the father, uh, whether that was a grandfather or father, who was telling the story to the family. And the children would gather around the table and they would have parts to play in this meal that uh, would retell the story. And so they would begin to understand and unpack that story. And Peter knew that this was central. That parents tell the story so they'll remember the promises of God. And this is the main way that they teach their children about their faith around the dinner table. And so here's what Peter says in verse 39. The promise is for you 
and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. He's saying, yeah, this is this promise is for you. You need to own your faith. Now go get around the dinner table and start telling this story to your children. Teach them, raise them up. And this isn't a new concept in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 7, as the people are about to go into the promised land. They hear this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Does that sound familiar? These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Will you read this last sentence with me? Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. And for our modern day context, what that means is, When we're hanging out at the house, when we're driving to wherever we're going, when we're about to go to bed, when we're about to wake up, we need to be talking about these promises. That's how this relates in our modern day context. Sharing the promise of Jesus Christ with our children is an essential part of our faith. So I want to spend the rest of our time together focusing on how to practically share this promise with your children because it's important. And we're going to talk practically on how to do that and here's the thing, I, I know that some of you are thinking, man, I don't have children or um, my children are old and they're already, they already have children. If you're a grandparent or you're an aunt or you're an uncle or you know somebody who has children that you're friends with, you have the potential to impact the life of a child. And so it's important that you hear this today. And so I want to invite you to do that. And the other thing that I want to say about that is that some of these terms, if you are unchurched and you've never, ever understood or heard about Jesus only from the Internet and media, these will be helpful to talk to adults as well who aren't familiar with the story of Christ. And so the reality is that we have to do something and we have to find practical ways to do that. And here's the other assumption that we make. We think that we aren't smart enough, we're not prepared enough, and we're not good enough to be the one who teaches our children about Jesus. We think that's the role for the church. The church has that figured out, and we'll just bring people there. And that is part true. But that's not the whole story. Because let me tell you, the reality is, this: the church here, we are prepared to train your children in the ways of the world. Uh, the Lord, rather. We work really hard to do that. We are laser focused. When, you, when you're looking at infant all the way up to high school, I mean, we are laser focused on training your children to understand the promises of God. But can I tell you the truth? In the span of a year, we get, on average, 40 hours a year with a, with a, a child or a youth. We get 40 hours a year. A parent gets on average 3,000 hours a year to pour in the life of their child. That's a lot of time. And so we use curriculum here at the church called Orange. Uh, for a lot of our, it's a high energy interactive curriculum that engages preschool on up through middle school and in scripture and, and it teaches those who are in it to take and apply what they're learning to their lives. And it, and it teaches them in ways that they'll understand. And so the reason it's called orange is because orange is the name of the strategy. Because the way they see it is the church is yellow 
and the household, the home, is red. And when the church and parents work together to pour into our children, something amazing happens. So I want to show you some ways to be more red. Because here's the reality. Here's why I think it's important to talk about this. Something or someone in your child's life will be the primary influencer and leader. And as parents, the opportunity is there for us to be that person. To have a faith that leads their faith. So here are three principles. And I did I pulled from various resources, but there's one book in particular that these three principles come from. David Stahl, who was a children worked in children's ministry up at Willow Creek. His book, Leading Your Child to Jesus, uh, is where these principles come from. And I think they're going to help us today. No matter how old or young your child is, even if they're in college, even if they're adults, I think this will help us to get that conversation started. So here's the first principle. Positively connect your child's world to God. And what that means is when you are talking to your child, you want to begin to speak in terms and remind them that God is at work in their lives and God has made everything around us and called it good. And we want to positively connect our child, uh, our child's world to God. And here's what happens when you don't. I was talking to an adult who said he wasn't a Christian because he was mad at God for letting all the bad stuff happen in his life. In my experience, these individuals believe that they create the good things in their lives and God sends them the bad stuff. They don't have the foundation to rely on knowing that the God of this universe created them and loves them and wants to be their friend forever. So I find myself going back through the story of uh, their lives and asking them questions. And everywhere that they point out a tough moment, I try my best to uncover God's work in their lives during that time. And eventually that also leads me to claiming the positive things in in their world and relating them to God, like all of creation. The food we eat, the labor we enjoy, the air we breathe. Because, folks, seriously, this... This may seem like a basic thing, but there are many adults who don't have a positive connection with God. And so it's our job to, to start young. And really, Karen Henley in her book, The Child, uh, Child-Sensitive Teaching, talks about the importance of introducing infants to God in simple ways. And she says, you know, and there's study out there that when children are in the womb and they're being formed... They begin to know mom and dad's voice. They begin to understand languages. They begin to form dialect. Uh, and so it's for us, when we think about it, when we're interacting with infants, whether it's joy, rest, peace, warmth, or wonder, we need to talk to the child about God's role and what's taking place, even if we think they're not understanding. If your baby is, um, if you're holding your baby and rocking your baby to sleep, sing that baby a song about Christ's love for us. Or talk to them about how Jesus um, is our loves us and is our friend forever. And start using the words Jesus and God in positive tones. And what will happen is that will lay the foundation for them to think, hey, God and Jesus, that's good. I, that's positive for me in my life. If your baby's enjoying a banana, say something like, God made this banana. Isn't it good? I know that may seem odd and silly, but can I tell you, repetition is the mother of all skill. And when you start to 
lay these foundations positively early on, no matter how early it may seem, it will have an impact later on. Take a four-year-old and go to them in their PJs and say, hey, instead of going to bed, I'm gonna ex- we're going to go outside for a little bit and I'm going uh, to sneak you out past your bedtime. I mean, could you imagine if mom and dad came to a four-year-old and said, hey, you don't have to go to bed yet, let's go outside, and, uh, and do it on a clear night, do it when you can see all the stars, which is a great thing about Stafford County, and, and talk to them about how God made the world by talking just the way that we're talking right now. And you might want to read Genesis chapter 1 and, and just get a, a little bit before you go and talk. But, and then say that after everything that God made, God said it was good. And that same God who made you and me, He loves us so much and He made this whole universe. I mean, look up. And that story basically came out of Genesis chapter 1, but we find ways to positively connect the child's world to God. And we can make it relatable. And children are most receptive to stories that they can relate to or picture. When I was um, teaching the Smart Money, Smart Kids class, I had some folks around me. And it's uh, the Smart Money, Smart Kids class comes from Dave Ramsey. It's the financial peace stuff. And you're really focusing on the really young children. And you're trying to help them understand money values. And one of the big things they say is get three jars and label one. I can't remember exactly, but label one God, label one savings, and label one you were spending. And so they would say, you know, you, you need to start giving them money that they would earn at an early age so that they can go and put some in the bucket first in God and put some in the bucket then in savings and put some in their bucket. And and imagine if they're doing this every day. I mean, I had parents around in that table in that classroom say, hey, we're doing this. It's a thing in our house. And they love it. They love bringing their spending jar, their saving jar and their giving jar and and doing what they're supposed to with it. It's incredible. Imagine what success they're getting set up for. And they also hear that God owns it all, and they're just giving a piece back. I mean, that's the sort of positive impact we can begin to put and relate in our children. Find those moments throughout the week where we can be creative. And you can do this with um, preschool, elementary, middle school, high school. I mean, be creative in your conversations. You can even... Uh, if your college students are home for the summer, but find ways when you can engage and have those conversations and do it in relatable ways. It's amazing what you'll come up with. And it's always different depending on the age. But build that positive foundation. Principle number two, clearly communicate God's truth and love. So whatever developmental stage your child is at, try to adjust where they are and use concrete terms and language instead of abstract words. Children uh, usually take things more literally, uh, like die um, versus die. And so try to use, um, you know, more literal, concrete terms. It goes back uh, to our scripture. Here's, here's one way to look at it. Our scripture today, summarizing Acts chapter 2, 36 and 38, Peter said, Jesus is both Lord and Messiah. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So how do we take something like this and relate it to, I don't know, a four-year-old? How do we do that? Well, I was reading a story about a mom who happens to work in children's ministry. Her name is Beth. And she was out running errands with her four-year-old. 
who was in the back seat one day. And they were driving around. And, uh, and I always forget this part. Maddie, the daughter, she asked her mom, what would happen if she died? I mean, Beth said they were talking about the weather. And then all of a sudden, Maddie said, hey, what would happen if you died? Four-year-old. And Beth said, she paused. She hesitated. And you don't hesitate in moments like that, I guess, because Maddie began to get really upset. And she said, Mom, I don't want you to die. And her mom, Beth, at that point, just wanted to comfort her daughter. And so she says, Maddie, you know I made a a decision a long time ago to ask Jesus to be my forever friend. The Bible says if you love Jesus, then you can go to heaven when you die. So you see, I'm not afraid of dying because I know that I'm going to heaven. Beth said the car got quiet. I mean, you could hear, if you have a four-year-old in the car and the car's quiet, it's usually not a good thing. But she said, after a few moments, uh, Maddie said, Mom! And she was really excited. She said, I love God and Jesus. And Beth said, well, have you ever asked him to forgive you and to be your forever friend? And Maddie said quietly, no. And so Beth said, well, would you like to pray right now? And she was driving through traffic. She said, Do you want to pray right now? And she answered yes. And at that moment, Beth walked her four-year-old through the salvation prayer. And now I know that, you know, a four-year-old, there's a lot on the back end she's going to have to do to continue to explain what happened that day. But can I tell you, Beth took an abstract term that we use all the time, like ask Jesus into your heart. And that's abstract because a four-year-old would think, into my heart? How do I get Jesus into my heart? And she asked, have you ever asked Jesus to forgive you and be your forever friend? And it made sense to Maddie. Beth was building a foundation in Christ with her daughter. And so I I just want to share briefly, here's what we teach at the church. And I think it might be helpful for you at the various ages. In preschool, they're first taught three things. God made them. God loves them. God will be a a friend forever. In elementary, they're taught to trust God in their life, to treat others well, and the importance of making wise choices. And in middle school, they're taught, I am created to pursue an authentic relationship with my Creator. I belong to Jesus Christ and define who I am by what He says. I exist every day to demonstrate God's love to a broken world. Can you imagine if our middle schoolers begin to understand that, and as parents, we begin to reinforce that, what would change in our school system if that really took root? I mean, how would things be different in Stafford County? So here's a a resource that I think, because I I don't want to leave you just hoping for the best. So if you have a a children in preschool or, or elementary, there's this great app that Orange Curriculum provides that I'd highly recommend you download. It's called the Parent Q app. I'd encourage you to download it on your phone. It's $1.99, totally worth it. It follows the theme that your child is learning that month. So each month in preschool and elementary, they have a theme that they're going off of. They have a memory verse and all that. And it guides you week to week, day to day in conversations, prayers, and ideas in places like drive time, Meal time, cuddle time, bedtime, and hang and play time. And so this month, the, the preschool theme is better together. And the bottom line is, can we get the, yeah, it's better together. And this is what it would look like if you were to download that app and go to the preschool section. 
you can see at the bottom, drive time, cuddle time, play time. And the theme this week is better together. They have a memory verse. And the bottom line is this. God gives me good friends. And if you were to click on the right side, the playtime button, this is one of the things that would come up. It would say one of the playtime ideas is to invite one of your child's good friends over, serve them their favorite snack, play their favorite game, and help your your child enjoy the friend God gave them while learning how to be a good friend too. I mean, that's incredible. Because it takes complex ideas and makes them simple. And I need that. And so a great resource if you don't have a child in middle and elementary. And here's the thing. If you're a grandparent, I would encourage you to download that app. Uh, and really, it might help you anyway, no matter where you find yourself. But it's, it's really helpful. But a great resource for parents of all ages, and this is preschool all the way to high school, uh, is to go to the parentq.org. And again, this is Orange Curriculum. They have a lot of helpful information. But if you click on the podcast button... They have some great podcasts from their leaders, and they're usually 12 to 20 minutes. I listened to one the other day that was a podcast on sex conversations through the phases. How to talk to a 4-year-old, how to talk to an 8-year-old, how to talk to an 11-year-old at the various ages of their life uh, about what it looks like and, and from a Christian perspective and how we should act and how we should respond. Can I tell you, that was one of the more helpful things I've listened to in a really long time, and it It was great. And all I had to do was press play. And so I'd encourage you, you don't have to do the orange curriculum stuff or go find that, but there are so many resources out there. Our library on campus has a ton of stuff. I'd invite you to do that. Find ways to be prepared for those conversations because here's the thing, with the internet and uh, media, they're going to receive that information from somewhere. I think, and you, I think you would agree, it's best to come from the parent, to, to be that. So here's principle number three, our last principle. Actively reinforce the message. And here's where I think treating our children, no matter what age they are, in a way that we can have a conversation, not that we're talking at them, but we're talking with them. So give your child an opportunity to respond, to make their faith something bigger. And here's the thing. They're going to look at us. They may be young, but they're listening. They're watching. They're receptive. Often in the home life, we're not necessarily clear about our faith, But who we are, they'll see. Our children see who we are more than anybody else out there. And so it's not that if you mess up or if you feel like you've been a bad parent that day, you know, look, we need the Holy Spirit in our life to work in these situations and in these relationships. And that's got to be one of the main drivers. And we just finished a, a series on that. You can go back through and watch it. But I would say that that's having the Holy Spirit praying for our family praying for ourselves, praying for our children and with our children. Separate, I mean, pray with them, but then also pray for them. That's, that's like foundational. And that's a great first step. Read scripture. Man, read. There are so many Bible books that we read. Our, my son Liam already. I mean, they're available and out there. But here's the thing that's true. Our faith has to matter to us if it's going to matter to them. Relationships matter. And here's, here's the greatest thing that I can say. When a child knows love, all this others are mess-ups, our attempts to explain these Christian concepts, what's true will make sense in their life. Relationships and the child knowing that they're loved, and that's going to cover a ton of stuff. And this is the glue for all the communication that you have with them.
So here's the reality. Somebody or something in your life, your child's life, is going to be the primary uh, influencer and leader. And as parents, the opportunity is there for you to be that person. And if it's not you, then who's it going to be? We have to have a faith that leads our children because this promise is for you and for your children. And we need to be in a place where we can share that.